Welcome, everybody. It's good to see you this weekend at Grace. Welcome, everybody watching online also. Hey, um, before I jump into our conversation, I just really want to lean into um, some of these announcements about camps and conferences. Uh, if you're parents, grandparents, especially if you're a high school student, uh, these camps that, and conferences, Momentum Youth Conference that we have over the summer are phenomenal investments. And uh, if you're at all like on the fence about whether you're going to send your kids to camp or if you're a high school student, if you're on the fence about whether you're going to go to Momentum Youth Conference, as strongly as I can encourage you to do that, I, I really encourage you to do that. I know these things cost money. Uh, Heidi and I, my wife and I have six kids and we spend a fortune on this. I'm going to leave this service and go sell plasma uh, to make it happen. But, um, but we do this every year because it is such a good investment for our kids spiritually. There's something about being out of the norm that I think we tune into God, like it, we tune out kind of the normal noises in our life and we tune into God in a special way. So for children, junior camp and, and junior high camp is huge. Teenagers, Momentum Youth Conference, you will love it. It's the best week of summer. And uh, it's the only place that I spend a whole week, the whole year. Uh, because I believe so much in what God does at that conference. So if you can get there, get there. If you're thinking about it, quit thinking about it and sign up. And, uh, and you, will, uh, you will be blessed for doing that. And so as much as I can encourage you to do that, I encourage you to do that, okay? All right, we're starting a new series this weekend called The Most Interesting Man in the World. And uh, excited because what we're going to do is we're going to spend a big chunk of the summer and we're going to take kind of a deep dive on who Jesus is, what he's like, what that means to us, how we are then to respond to him. And uh, we're really going to dig into his life and understand him in new ways. If you are uh, kind of figuring that out, if you're new to the Bible and kind of uh, interested in spiritual things, but not quite sure what to do about it, so you showed up uh, this weekend or you tuned in online, uh, this summer, it's really going to help you. I, I think you're going to walk away by kind of the end of it with a very clear understanding of, of who Jesus is. If you are convinced of that already, you're going to love this summer because you cannot hang out with Jesus and not love him more. Just can't do it. And so you're going you're gonna to love that. You're going to love getting to know him deeper and kind of in a, a more intimate way and different nuances of him. It's, it's a blast to do that. So I think for all of us, it, it's going to be great and you're going to enjoy it. And, and we're gonna, what we're going to do in order to kind of do this and kind of organize it a little bit is we're actually just going to hang out in one book of the Bible. So we're going to look at the book of John and we're going to look at that most of the summer. So if you got a Bible, open it up to the book of John. And uh, if you don't have a Bible, there's some there in the chairs. It's page 739 in those Bibles in the chairs. If you want a physical copy of the Bible and you don't have it, just take one of those with you. Keep it and uh, write your name in it. And then all this is on our app. So Grace Church 30 and 30, uh, search that, get that app and our notes and the passages and all that will be right there for you. And then you can just kind of dog ear that because we're going to spend the bulk of the summer in that book of the Bible and, uh, and get to know it and, and get to know Jesus through it. So I'm excited to do that and uh, excited for you to take this journey together. To, to kind of dive into this, uh, let me talk to you for a second, kind of frame this up a little bit about how the Bible is organized, okay? So the, the Bible is basically broken into two parts. 
There's the old part, which is most of the Jewish, ancient Jewish scriptures, and we call that the Old Testament. It's kind of the first part of the Bible. And then there's the second part. That's when Jesus shows up. We call that the New Testament. And the second part of the Bible starts with what we call the Gospels. So there's four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are the accounts of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John of their time with Jesus. And they were disciples or apostles of Jesus. And what they did is as they observed and understood who Jesus was, the Holy Spirit inspired them to write those accounts of what they interacted with Jesus about. And it's really kind of cool because each of them were individuals. They had their own, um, their own personality. Matthew was a tax collector. Luke was a doctor. And so they, they, through their personality, they would observe the same events, so to say, and they would write those things down. So a lot of times when you read those four gospels, you're kind of reading different perspectives of the same events, and they come out through the personality of the writer, which helps kind of each of us, as we have different personalities, understand Jesus in a way that, that makes sense to us. What's unique about the book of John is a couple things. Most scholars believe, I think I do too, that um, John knew that Matthew, Mark, and Luke had written about Jesus. Uh, John was the only one of the disciples that lived a full life. Everybody else was martyred uh, because they would not recant that Jesus rose again from the dead. In fact, it's one of the greatest reasons why we trust the Bible, uh, because many people, including Jesus's own brother and most of his disciples, were all killed. They were martyred because they said, we saw him die, and we interacted with him again after he rose again from the dead, and we will not back off on that. It cost them their lives. Uh, John lived a full life, but he was exiled to, to an island because of the same thing, because he would not recant. So most scholars believe that he knew that Matthew, Mark, and, and Luke had written their gospels, and he may have even interacted with those gospels in written form. But because he lived such a long time, he was able to kind of interact with their writings and then add to it or add color to it. So John is the, is the latest of the gospels that was written. The others were written earlier, and then John's came in later on. So it's fun to read John because he adds some color and especially relational kind of uh, interactions that he had with Jesus. Now, one of the other things that's interesting about John is he was Jesus's best friend. And so he and, and Jesus were like brothers. In fact, they were so close that when Jesus was dying on the cross, he looked down from the cross and he asked John to take care of his mom. So he said, Mary, this is John, this is your son. John, this is your, your mother. And so that was the, the depth of their, their friendship. It was like a brotherhood. He's like, will you take care of my mom for the, for the rest of her life while he's on the cross? And so even the other disciples said, yeah, Jesus and John were like the best of friends, like brothers. And John had kind of that unique connection with Jesus. And as he writes, it's fascinating because he writes about a friend that he laughed with and journeyed with and kind of lived with like the disciples did. But also he writes about a person that he believed was God and that he said, this is Jesus the Christ. He is the son of God. In fact, John is, is the only one of the gospels in which he as a writer tells us what he hopes we'll get out of it. 
And he says this at the end of the book. He says in John chapter 20, he said, Jesus performed many other signs. A lot of what we're going to look at over the course of the book of John is a lot of Jesus's miracles. So we're going to look at his humanity and then we're going to look at his deity and, and these miracles that Jesus did that kind of show that he was God. And John says, I, in essence, I wrote all these things, but there was a lot of other stuff I didn't even write down. Like there was just too much stuff to cram into a book. So he performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in the book. But the ones that I wrote down, this is what I hope you guys will do with them. But these that are written, that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Uh, John looks and says, I, I wrote these things to help you know that Jesus is the promised Messiah of the Old Testament and that he's the Son of God. And my hope is, is that you read these miracles and you get introduced kind of to this person called Jesus Christ. My hope is that, that you actually believe that he is who he says he is. That, that he is God, that he is your savior, that he is Lord. And my hope is that, that you kind of cut through all of the noise and meet this person and that you come by faith to believe that he is the God that he claims to be. It's a real unique thing that, that John does. I want you to see that he is the Messiah and I want you to see that he is the son of God. I want you to recognize him for those things and that if you believe those things, you can have the salvation that, that he offers. And I would say that's the same goal that we have here at Grace this summer. Uh, we wanna walk you through the book of John, and we want to walk you kind of closely to the person of Jesus Christ. We want you to see that he's the promised Messiah of the Old Testament. We want you to see that he is indeed God and should be worshiped and interacted with as God so that you can believe. So if you have question marks and, and, and you have uh, thoughts and concerns or maybe just blank spots in your understanding about Jesus, that over the course of the summer, all those things can kind of be erased and you can, at a minimum, have the information out, you know, so that you can take it and you can interact with it. And then you're going to have to decide what you want to do with it. It's fascinating. John, John kind of takes us on that journey. He kind of weaves this thread through his writing. And, and the, the bottom line of the thread is this. He basically will look at us by the end of the book, when we get to John chapter 20, he will look at us and he'll say, so what are you going to do with this? Uh, John would look and say, Jesus is kind of an all in or all out proposition. He's not benign. He either is who he says he is, or he, it's all a big lie and a big joke. And I'm laying these things out. I was there. I saw it. I'm laying these things out so I can show you who he says he is but you have to decide. And what happens over the course of the book, I'm just kind of warning you, giving you a heads up. What happens over the course of the book is you kind of find yourself walked into this decision point that the stuff that John lays out is so fantastic that either Jesus is God who can do God stuff, change water to wine, walk on water, raise people from the dead, or it's this whole made-up thing that should be ignored altogether. And John says, that's why I wrote the book. So you can have the evidence, you can have all the information, but I kind of warn you, you're going to have to decide 
whether you believe this or not. It's interesting as John kind of starts that whole process, it's interesting where he positions Jesus from the get-go. He, he doesn't start with his miracles and he doesn't start with his kind of relational interaction with Jesus. He actually starts on this big chunk of theology. And, Jesus, and John kind of lays out kind of this theological argument of who Jesus is. And, and it's almost like he starts off and he's saying, let's be clear that when we're looking at Jesus, we're not looking at a moral teacher. We're not looking at a great prophet. We're not looking at a good theologian. Uh, we're looking at something very distinct, that Jesus is, in fact, God. This is what he says in John chapter 1, verse 1. He says, in the beginning was the Word. The Word is another name for Jesus. So Jesus is the Word. He's the Lamb of God. He's the light. He's the Son of God. He's the atoning sacrifices. All these different ways that the Bible will title Jesus. One of them is the Word. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was, or Jesus was with God. The Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not received it. This is a very theologically important and a little bit confusing passage. But John says, hey, before we get to the miracles, before we get to the relational stuff, we got to make sure that we're talking about who Jesus is and what he is actually like. So he backs it up. He says, in the beginning, Jesus was the word. What he's saying is Jesus has always been. He is eternal. He is not created. So he has always been. He will always be. The word was with God. This is where it gets really confusing. He was with God. The word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, he's the creator. Through him, all things are made. In him is was life. He is the originator of life, and that life was light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Let's, let's work on this here for a second, okay? Probably one of the questions that I get uh, the most about Jesus and the most even here at church is when I, when I talk about God, I'll talk about him like in four different ways. I'll say God, and then I'll say the Father, then I'll say Jesus, and then I'll say the Holy Spirit. And people, a lot of times you guys will look at me and say, so is there like, how many, how many of them are there <laughs> exactly? Like there's a bunch of different things. What are you talking about? And this is a confusing thing, uh, and it's a confusing thing even when I was a little kid, right? So God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, we call that the Trinity, or the Godhead, you won't find the word Trinity in the Bible, you won't find the word Godhead in the Bible, that's a theological concept, but what you'll find are passages like this, where Jesus is God, was with God, you'll also find this in creation, the Bible will say they, they'll talk about God in the plural, and that's what we call the Trinity. Now, the Trinity is a little bit confusing. I remember being in Sunday school, and we actually were talking about creation, 
And I raised my hand. I was like, what's this they thing, right? I got kicked out of Sunday school a lot. Did you get kicked out of Sunday school? It was every other week for me for a bunch of different reasons. But I was asking my teacher, Mrs. Riggs, who loves Jesus, is in heaven now, and now has forgiven me for tormenting her in my Sunday school class. And I asked Mrs. Riggs, I said, how many gods are there? And Mrs. Riggs was not the most refined person in the world. She goes, there's one like that. I'm like, well, why? What are all these different names? Like, I don't understand it, right? And in a moment of clarity and compassion, she looked at me and she said, Jeffaroo, and she's allowed to call me Jeffaroo because she's in heaven. And if you do, you will be, right? So (laughs) she said, Jeffaroo, she goes, let me try to explain it to you this way. She goes, this is the way that the Trinity works. Best illustration I ever heard she taught me. She said, when you think about the Trinity, think about an egg. An egg is three things that is one thing. An egg is three things that is one thing. So an egg has a shell. It has the egg white and the yolk. And those three things are one thing. If you take any one of those three things away, you no longer have the one thing. If an egg doesn't have a shell, it's not an egg. If it doesn't have an egg white, it's not an egg. If it doesn't have the yolk, it's not an egg. It has to have the three things in order to be the one thing, but the three things are one thing. That's kind of how the Trinity works. The Father is God. The Son, Jesus, the Son of God, is God. The Holy Spirit is God. The three things are one thing. But each of those three people play different and distinct roles in our life and in the Godhead, right? The God, God the Father is a person who has a distinct role. God the Son, Jesus, is our Redeemer, our Savior. He is God, the fancy word is incarnate. He's God with skin on. Jesus came to earth as God, took on full humanity while being fully God so that we could understand God. Most of what we understand about God, we understand through Jesus. God, the Holy Spirit, the Bible says, lives within me when I accept Jesus's offer of salvation. He is God. The three things are one thing. The one thing is three things. And those all are active in our lives. That's why when you accept Christ as your Savior and you get baptized, we baptize you in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit. It's Jesus who died and offered you salvation. It's the Heavenly Father who wanted that to happen. The Bible says it's the Holy Spirit. Everyone who's a Christian, the reason you're a Christian in part It's because the Holy Spirit drew you through kindness to repentance, see? So the Godhead is active in all of us and in our lives, and the three things are one thing, and the theological term for it is the Trinity, and this shows up here in John. John, as he's laying out who Jesus is and what he's like, he kind of starts off and he, he basically says, listen, I just want to make sure you know we're talking about God. Jesus is not like vice God. He's not like backup God because God's getting old and so the son's got to take over the company kind of a thing, right? He's not little God. He's God. He is creator. Well, I thought the father was creator. He is. He is the sustainer. 
He is the offer of salvation. He is, he is God. He is the way, the truth, the life. Fully God, even though he wants to be your friend, even though he is a brother or a joint heir to you once you're a, a, a follower of Jesus Christ, he is still fully God. And all that I'm gonna lay out for you so that you can believe he's the Messiah and the Son of God has to come off of this foundation that Jesus is actually the one true God as a part of the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And this is huge because John knew Jesus. He was with Jesus in his humanity. He saw Jesus get hungry. He saw Jesus be tired. He saw Jesus be thirsty. He saw Jesus be worn out and need to get away from people. He saw Jesus in his humanity. He saw his sinlessness and he saw his deity. And John would look at us and, and in essence say, just because Jesus had skin on, don't downplay him. He's not like Buddha. He's not like Muhammad. He's not like one of the prophets. He's more than just a moral leader. He is, in fact, God himself. And my friend that I laughed with, that I talked with, that I got to know, I also worship and glorify and place my life under his authority and his direction. And that's what I want for you. That's why I wrote the things in this book that I wrote down. That's what the Holy Spirit led me to do. Because I actually want you to come to the same conclusion. Now, John knew this was going to be difficult for us. It was, he knew it was going to be difficult for us because it was difficult for the people that were interacting with Jesus in the first place. And he knew that this was going to be a critical decision in, in our lives because he knew from the get-go that it was a critical decision for the people who were interacting with Jesus in the first place originally in real time. In fact, he, he, says, he, says, um, he says this, he goes on, and he says, the true light that gives light to everyone has come into the world. He was in the world, and through him the world was, and though through him the world was made, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, which, which was his own, but his own did not receive him. He looks, he says, guys, even though Jesus is the creator of the world, and through him the world was made, when he showed up in the world, a bunch of people didn't recognize him, and the people that should have recognized him rejected him. John talks about two groups of people. He says, there's the world, right? The world is everybody, and all the people that are looking for God. And God showed up with skin on, and Jesus Christ illustrated his deity as the Son of God, and a bunch of people don't know about that and have trouble doing the math. They don't recognize him, even when they interact with him. And then there's these ancient Jewish people of the Old Testament who have studied all these thousands of years, all the Messiah prophecies, and Jesus fulfills every one of them, and his own don't receive him. Even though he is what they've been looking for, they've decided that they're going to reject him. So John knew this was going to be a struggle. 
God knew it was going to be a struggle, and he knew that we were going to be faced in that same struggle as we interact with Jesus. And he would kind of look at this a couple ways. God would talk about this world of people who don't recognize him, and he would recognize that, that that's an issue. And so what God did in response to that struggle and that issue is he gives the world the church. And Jesus says, I know it's going to be hard for people to recognize me. People are looking for God. They're not sure who he is. There's a bunch of different arguments. He knew the internet was coming, right? And so he knew all that was going to be out there. And so he says, what I'm going to do, I am the light of the world. Now my followers, you are the light of the world. And what you're going to do is you're going to help me make sense so that the world who is looking for God and hope and eternal life recognizes that I am what they've been looking for. Jesus says it this way in Matthew. He says, you're the light of the world, all Christians, all followers of Christ. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and place it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Jesus, in essence, is saying that followers of Christ now are the light of the world. And what you're going to do is you're going to help me make sense. When you love, when you're compassionate, when you are generous, when you give, when you serve, when you forgive, your good deeds are going to shine toward others. When you verbally express the gospel, when you tell other people who I am, what you're going to be is you're going to be like an ambassador. And when you show up in people's lives, you're going to proclaim the truth of who I am as if I myself were there doing it personally. You're going to help me make sense because God has arrived. He has a name. He has a story and a bunch of people aren't going to recognize him. And that's fine. You're going to help that to happen. And Jesus would say that's the purpose of the church. The church does not exist so that we can be obnoxiously involved in the details of each other's lives, so we can control each other with legalism. The church does not exist so that we can have nuanced conversations about theology, be caught up in controversial issues. The church does not exist to promote the traditions of a subculture, whatever traditions we decide are valuable. The Bible would teach us this, that God did not give the church to the church alone. He gave the church to the world. The church exists as a mission, as a voice, as the physical representation of Christ on planet Earth. What we do as the people of God is we help Jesus make sense to people who do not naturally recognize him. That hope you're looking for, I, I know his name. The salvation you're looking for, I know his name. That God you pray to, I know his name. And I will help Jesus make sense to you because the world does not necessarily naturally recognize Christ. Now what happens next is this. John goes back to this thread where he says Jesus is, he's an in or out proposition. And he's not benign. You have to make a decision. Some people will kind of recognize Jesus quickly. Some people are going to need him explained to him, so I give you the church. Some people are going to have all the information, all the facts, all the logic of human instinct, and they are going to choose to reject 
him. He's going to come to his own, and his own aren't going to receive him. And that struggle is beyond Old Testament Jewish people. That is out to all of humanity. And people are going to willfully suppress the truth of God. The Apostle Paul talks about this in Romans chapter 1, 18. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all of the godlessness and wickedness of people. Here it is. Who suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is plain to them because God has made it plain. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly seen, being understood from what has been made so that people are without excuse. What the writer here, Paul, is saying and what other writers in the Bible say is this, that the human instinct to look for God is evidence that God exists, that human beings are created in the image of God, and that's what causes us to instinctually long for God. His existence is woven into our hearts and into the fabric of humanity. And the only way to deny that is to suppress it on purpose. Human instinct leads us to a human logic that causes us to look for God. For instance, kind of the leading scientific theory right now would be, or the most widely accepted one would be that humanity, human beings, are simply evolved mammals, right? So we evolve kind of from nothing and then we're monkeys and we're apes and we're, we're another form of a mammal. We are highly intelligent animals. You have to convince yourself that that's true. Because even though you'll fill it in on a science test, most people don't actually believe that. Most people believe that we're something different and unique. And a part of the reason why that we believe that, part of the logic behind why we would believe that, is that human beings are the only part of creation that must satisfy the God question. We're the only part of creation that worships or desires to. The zebras aren't gathered together having church this weekend, right? Monkeys don't write worship songs. Dogs don't pray. Cats are the devil, right? <laughs> We're the only part of creation that does that. And listen, every part of humanity at every phase of human history in every culture on planet Earth have all sought God. We all instinctually know it, at a minimum there's intelligent design, surely there's a creator. Most human beings pray to something. Most human beings believe that there is some type of afterlife. We'll invent different things, but we'll create something. Why? Because we have a soul. We're different than the rest of creation. We're not the same. It is written on us to look for our creator. We look at creation itself, and even though we'll fill in the blank on the science test, we, we know it didn't just happen. 
we know it could not be ordered this precisely by happenstance. We know it down deep and will long for the origin of that, the origin of life. We must satisfy that question so much so that sometimes in order to satisfy it, the only thing we'll do to come to peace with it is suppress it. Now we just cease to exist. You don't actually believe that. You had to talk yourself into it. There is no God. You don't actually believe that. You've convinced yourself that so you don't have to deal with that God, see. Even in our relationships with each other, why is it that when your child is born, there is a spiritual bond as if the creator himself was involved in bringing that child and parent together? That bond is so deep that even if that child is given to adoption and they are raised in a wonderful, loving, adoptive home, they will still long to find their birth parent. Why? Because there's a connection of the spirit. When we send the puppies home, they don't go looking for their mom. The cats don't sit around saying, I wonder if I have uh, other siblings. <laughs> Only a human being will do that. Why? Because we're spiritual. It is a logical, instinctual response for a human being to look for God. And the only way to deny that is to suppress it. See? John looks and says, there are some, and they just don't recognize that this, this spirit, this higher power, this being, this creator, they just don't know his name's Jesus. So the church of Jesus will proclaim that to the ends of the earth. All power and authority is given to us to be witnesses all over the globe, all over time. And there are others. They know. They've studied. They've looked. They knew the prophecies. They even know the Bible. And they chose to reject the very one that they were searching for their whole life. They suppressed the truth because they didn't want to have to yield to the God whose name is Jesus Christ. See? And you see this thread. Jesus is an all in, all out. It, it, you may be, the Bible uses the word ignorant, but not in a harsh way. You may be ignorant. You may have a blank spot about who this God is. Well, that's what the church does. We'll tell you that. See? But if you harden your heart, if you refuse to accept the obvious thing that he is the Messiah, if you refuse to engage in the obvious thought process that we came from somewhere. And then I love what John does next. He says, that's gonna be the deal. You're gonna be in, you're gonna be out on Jesus. But if you go in, there's wonderful stuff. Yet to all who receive him, don't reject him, don't suppress him, all who receive him, to those who believe in his name, he gives the right, that's a legal word in the Bible. He gives the right, it's adoption, I'm a joint heir, I have a legal claim to the inheritance of God. He gives the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent or human decision or the husband's will, but born of God. Jesus uses the phrase born again. 
that I'm not just born naturally, but I'm spiritually reborn. And I can be a child of God. This God who loves me so much, who has always been, who will always be, who is my creator, who is with God, who is God. A God who puts skin on so that I could understand him. The God who supernaturally inspired and preserved his word so I can literally read about him. The God who created the church so that, so that the blank spots could be erased and people could recognize his love. The God who reaches for me, see, I can decide, I can know, I'm invited Jesus wants to be found. He's not a mystery. He's, he's not a, a mountain of enlightenment that has to be climbed, but we can never really achieve. He wants to be found. And this is what John is saying. He, he showed up incarnate. He came to be with us. He's Emmanuel is the, the name, one of the names of Jesus. He showed up for us. He did these things I wrote them down so that you can find him, so that you can know, so that you can do the math, so that you can recognize. And if you receive him and believe him and receive the salvation that he offers, you can be the child of God, which is what Jesus wants for you. He wants to be your friend. He wants to be your sibling. He wants to invite you into the family. He will journey with you. He will never leave you. He will never forsake you. And he is to be worshiped. And he is to be glorified. And he is to be yielded to because he is God himself. See? One of the reasons I love the book of John is because it, it played a, a huge role in my life. I, I, when I got to know Jesus as a person, it was life-altering for me. Because the way I was raised, I knew Jesus as a religion and I knew him as a set of facts, right? So I, I literally started going to church in my mother's womb. Raised in church my whole life and in our tradition, we went three to four times a week. And so lots and lots and lots of religion, lots and lots and lots of church. And then my mom and dad, as an act of love and a gift to us, I'm grateful for this now, they also sent me to a Christian school so I started, I started to formally study the Bible in the first grade and study the Bible all the way through elementary, junior high, high school, and even into college formally. So I knew Jesus as a religion and Jesus as a set of facts. When I was in college, if you asked me a question about the Bible, I could probably correctly give you the right fact to 90% of what you asked me. I knew the Bible very well because I had studied it my, my whole life. I knew the Christian subculture very well. I also, not only did I know the facts and know the religion, I knew the expectations. So I knew to go to church. I knew when to sit up, when to stand up, and when to sit down. I could sing hymns without looking at the words. Like I, I knew it all, right? But I would argue that I did not know Jesus as a person. I knew him as a concept. I knew him as a structure. I knew him as a behavioral expectation, and I knew him as a set of facts. I did not know him as a friend. I didn't know him as a family member, as a sibling. When I was in college, I, I fell in with a group of college students, and I was starting to get to know these guys. They were, they were phenomenal guys. 
And they invited me to a Bible study one night. And I went, frankly, because there were cute girls there. And so I went to the Bible study and I wasn't afraid of a Bible study. I was very familiar with being in like a Bible study. There's nothing weird about that to me. So I went to this Bible study and I, I'm sitting around with these guys in this Bible study and, and God used them to start short-circuiting my concepts of Jesus in a good way. We would read the Bible, they would read the Bible, and they didn't read the Bible as a set of facts. They, they would read the Bible and they would say things like this. They'd say, you know, God is saying to me that I ought to, and I, I thought that was the weirdest thing in the world. God is saying to you? Yeah, God, God is speaking to, God really spe, spoke to me, or they would say, like, they had this little phrase, they laid it on my heart. God really laid it on my heart that I should and I, I thought, you're interacting with the Bible like it's not a textbook. Like the Bible's a set of facts, right? Old Testament, New Testament, here's this theology, here's the background. They read the Bible like it was communication from God that they listened to personally. It blew my mind. They prayed, we prayed together, and they would pray, I listened to them pray. They would pray like they were talking to a friend. They would pray like, like they were having coffee with Jesus. I never pray like that. I prayed either a memorized prayer or I prayed in such a way that you were impressed with what I said. I was making a point with my prayer. They, they would just converse, not in a creepy way, but just like a normal relational way. I remember we sang worship songs that night. I knew the songs, but when they sang them, you could just tell, like we're sitting around this guy's apartment, you could tell that they meant it. I never meant it, I just knew it, right? And they were like affectionate to Jesus with these words they were singing. It, it started to blow my mind. These people were, were weird. They, they were absolutely certain of what they believed, 100% kind of anchored in the Bible, but they were kind and loving and the most inclusive group of people I ever met. You didn't have to agree with them to hang out with them. I've never been around people like that. Everybody I grew up with who was 100% certain about what they believed were mad about it. <laughs> and they would yell at you. These guys, their moral code and ethical code was unflappable. They would go out of their way to, to like not be alone with the opposite sex. So they were above reproach. I was like, what are you guys doing? Right? Why are you sitting here? Why aren't you out over there? <laughs> right? What? But they were absolutely committed to that. But they were fun and gentle and kind and they would converse. The way I grew up with was you argued. You were more concerned about being right than being loving. And they had this way of, of not giving up on what they believed, but they would listen to you and consider you. Everybody I grew up was patronizing. You were stupid if you didn't believe what we believed. I'd never seen anything like it before. God started to use those guys, man. In fact, one of the, one of the guys named Steve Huber, I actually called him a, a, about a year ago. I was like, I don't know if you, change, if you know that you changed my life or not. 
He's like, that blows my mind. He's still doing this stuff, right? And he's like, I never knew. I was like, well, now you need to know. And he's like, you should pay me. I was like, go away. And so, <laughs> right, so, but we're like, we kind of rekindled a friendship. I, would, I was like, you, you guys, I'd never seen anything like this before. Everybody I knew that was that nice and that kind and that inclusive had thrown the Bible out. I'd never seen anybody who totally believed the Bible and acted like this. Never, I, it just blew my mind. As God was using them to kind of unplug all this stuff, what they were doing is they were helping me get to know Jesus. Not other people's opinions about Jesus, not facts about Jesus, not religious tradition about Jesus, but Jesus himself. And I think it was them that had pointed me to the book of John. And they would talk about Jesus like a friend. They would sing to Jesus like a friend. They would interact with him this way. I'd never seen it before. It's in the middle of all that, that that I found myself in the middle of a soccer field in the middle of the night. And I was reading the book of John. And, and one of the most profound things that ever happened to me happened to me. I was reading the book of John where Jesus walked on water. And I had this very profound, very deep thought. Ready? This is going to blow your mind. I, I read that Jesus walked on water, and I thought this thought. I thought, he either walked on water or he didn't. Deep, right? <laughs> right? That's, that's, that's about as deep as your pastor is right there. And I, I was like, he either walked on water or he didn't. And in the context of them actually loving and living like Jesus did, all of a sudden, that piece of information became critical in my life because I thought, if he walked on water, then he's God. Because only God can bend, suspend, and rewrite the rules of nature at his will. If he didn't walk on water, then this whole thing is fake. Because if that's fake, the whole thing's fake. What else is fake? And I found myself at this decision point. What do I do with him? I was very prepared to throw religion out. But these guys weren't really religious. I was super ready to stop arguing. But they weren't arguing with me. I, I was more than willing to label all the hypocritical, judgmental people. But they weren't hypocritical and they weren't judging me. And I thought, if, if that's what Jesus is calling me to, and if he is God, I don't really have a choice. Because if he's God, he can ask whatever he wants from me. I trust now that he loves me. I see what he's asking me to do. And if he's God, I don't really have a choice whether to place my life under his authority and direction. It's actually under his authority and direction whether I admit it or not. My other option is to throw it all out. And I don't want to. I believe he's the Messiah. I choose to believe he is the son of God. I want this to be true. 
This is actually what makes my humanity make sense. And I would say it was at that time in my life where I stopped being religious and I stopped having a head puffed up with knowledge and I became a follower of the person, Jesus Christ, as my friend, as my spiritual sibling, as my Lord, as my creator, as my God. That's what I want for you. I want that for you. I want you to take this journey. I want want all these kind of spiritual cobwebs to be cleaned up. Because man, you meet Jesus, it's, it's a whole different deal. It really is. I'm just telling you ahead of time, you're gonna have to decide. It's just the way he works. So it, it won't just be like this fun, interesting thing at the end, you'll go, hmm, that, it's not the way it works. The whole book is written so you can decide he's the Messiah or the Son of God, or conversely, he's not. I tell you guys, if you've never taken a hard look at it, or if it's even been a while, see, the more you get to know your Lord and your Savior and the guy who wants to be your friend, the more you love him, the more he'll blow your mind, he'll change your life. So that's the journey we want to invite you to take this summer, okay? So maybe make the effort to be here in a special way. I know we all run around in the summer, that's great. So if you're running around, maybe make a special effort to hit the live stream or catch the podcast. But, but what if you just kind of put it high on your to-do list to take this deep dive? I think you'll be surprised what you find. I think it'll blow your mind a little bit and it will certainly clarify for you who Jesus is, how he loves you, how he wants us to respond to him, right? And uh, he's the most interesting man in the world, okay? All right, let me pray for us and the band will give us a little time to, to think. And Jesus, we love you. Thanks for loving us. Thanks for doing all this, Lord. Man, you're good. And uh, thank you. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for making the word of God come alive in our hearts and in our minds. And God, that's what we want to ask is we get to know your heart and mind. Would you open our heart and mind to, uh, to accept you for who you are, not what we heard or thought or even the way we were raised, but on our own to know you and interact with you. Thanks for being our friend. Thanks for being our sibling. And thank you for being God that we worship, that we praise, that we adore, that we yield to, that we bow before. And the power and the wonder of who you are and that you take all of that and give it to us in love and mercy and grace and compassion. As we worship you now, press deep into our hearts, Jesus, in your name.